1: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.
2: Welcome to Special Edition. A weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories.
3: Welcome to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. Time to enjoy the sun, but... Don't forget, protect your skin. Dawn Webster, physician's assistant with MedExpress, will be joining us. She has the details of what you can do to help prevent skin cancer. First up on Special Edition, the medical marijuana program in Pennsylvania was signed into law in 2016 and continues to expand for those who need it. The discussion has now turned to legalizing adult-use cannabis here in the Commonwealth as neighboring states have already done so. What's the status of Pennsylvania laws, and what can residents do to bring their opinions to lawmakers? Joining us, Robert Rudnitsky. He's executive director of Philly Normal and co-founder for Perfectly Normal, Todd Echis, a member of Perfectly Normal, and Jennifer Seek, an advocate and volunteer for Perfectly Normal. They're here to tell us about the grassroots effort that you can get involved in when it comes to that discussion. We'll start off by introducing you to Todd Eiches, who is going to give us the background of Perfectly Normal.
1: Fantastic, Paul. Thanks for having us here uh, to be able to talk about what Perfectly Normal is doing all across Pennsylvania. We're focused on reaching out to constituents, average people across Pennsylvania who care about adult use cannabis being legalized, and Perfectly Normal was formed by average citizens, advocates, and people involved in the cannabis industry in Pennsylvania so we can better articulate what it is that is important in advancing adult use cannabis in Pennsylvania because most of us in Perfectly Normal, we know about what this business is and we know what it is to be involved in this activity. So, you know, Perfectly Normal can be reached at perfectlynormal.info. That's our website. But we also uh, have Thursday night calls where we ask constituents and citizens to come onto those calls, and people can directly engage with their legislators, senators, and state House members, so we can talk to people directly about why we believe that it's time to pass adult-use cannabis in Pennsylvania and get people actively involved and talking directly to their elected officials.
3: So just to give everybody a little bit of background of who else is in our conversation here, now I'd like to bring Robert in. And perhaps, Robert, you can tell us a little bit how you're involved and what role you're playing in all of this.
1: Yes,
2: thank you, Paul. And yes, thank you for having us uh, on the show today. I appreciate that. We started this because we were very concerned about the way that legislation is starting to take shape in Pennsylvania. There are certain issues that are clearly uh, unresolved issues, simply like uh, the DUI issue where we have 500,000 medical patients right now. That are in harm's way for DUI concerns. We also have concerns about small business and our constituents being able to get involved in the industry. In the uh, medical program, which we do have a great medical program, unfortunately, the barrier to entry was a really, really high for almost anybody uh, localized in Pennsylvania to get into the industry. Now, as a result of COVID-19, we see Uh, that jobs and small business opportunities are extremely critical. Uh, And we see that the cannabis industry can clearly be something that uh, could be a gateway to prosperity to the citizens of Pennsylvania, as opposed to the large MSOs, the ones that are often referred to as the Walmarts of cannabis.
3: And now I'd like to bring Jennifer in. Jennifer, you can give us your background now and how are you involved in all of this?
4: I basically just got involved uh, through those Zoom calls that we're
3: talking about.
4: I'm a medical cannabis patient, and I'm also a home health care worker for a man that is a medical cannabis patient. And I directly see the healing properties of this plant. I originally got called in because I wanted to start a craft grow, and I wanted to find out more about legislation regarding legalization in PA. And I was just concerned about those multi-state operators, the MSOs, and how they might affect people like myself being able to be involved in cannabis industry. So it was just a concern I had. And then now
3: I'm involved in helping get other people like myself involved. I'm going to stay with you for just a moment there and ask you, what is that like? Because again, you're, you're talking about something that is, I mean, there's so much controversy, but here you're finding true that there are more people who are looking at it from this perspective rather than any other.
4: I'm dealing directly with patients that are having their illnesses helped by cannabis. So a lot of the people that I'm talking to and and dealing with that call into these calls, they are seeing it more in a positive light and they just want to get involved, you know, in different ways to see that maybe even medical cannabis patients are able to have home grow. That's another issue that we have is that cannabis patients do not have the money to be able to, to afford to be on the program at times. So we want to make sure that everyone is able to get their medicine. And that's another issue is just home grow, being able to have home grow. Very important to us. Paul, if, I might,
2: yes. if I might, if I might just chime in on that, they, what Jen is speaking about is a very serious issue. In Pennsylvania, unfortunately, if you do not have significant amount of cash, you can't really get your medicine. Um, your regular medicines are covered. By insurance, cannabis is not. I volunteer to help people get their medical cannabis cards. If someone tells me basically that they're on a social security budget, I tell them that they basically they cannot get into the cannabis uh, medicine because they really they can't afford it. The investment is uh, just to get your card is uh, around a $200 investment at the minimum. And then to pay for their monthly medicine, most folks can't afford it. And the only thing they could do, Uh, would be able to grow their own medicine. And so one of the things that we're advocating for is that medical patients, as Janet said, should be able in a very low key, uh, a very secure way, a very safe way, uh, be able to uh, grow a small amount of uh, cannabis plants to help them with their medical needs.
1: Can I jump in? Sure, go ahead. Also, you have to look at our moment in time. Right now, New York and New Jersey have legalized cannabis, which means within 18 months, all the jobs in this industry are going to move to New York and New Jersey and away from Pennsylvania. Inaction by our legislators in Harrisburg will cost Jennifer on this call potentially an opportunity to synchronize a small license that she could be a small business owner to grow cannabis in this state. And if we don't get moving and and the members of the House and Senate don't understand This is about jobs, jobs, jobs across Pennsylvania in a brand new industry. We're going to lose out just like we did when uh, Atlantic City had gambling for 28 years and Pennsylvania had none. The only gamble right now that we're facing is that the Harrisburg legislators don't take immediate action to pass this. And that's why we're activating people like Jennifer across the state to make calls to their legislators. That's why we created Perfectly Normal so we can get people involved and get this activity moving to create jobs right here.
3: And it's not like any of this just started. This has been going on since 2015. So what hasn't changed?
1: In 2016, we passed a medical cannabis bill, and that allows for patients under the law, Act 16 in, in, in the state of Pennsylvania, with certain Maladies, health problems, qualify for a medical marijuana card and then get their medicine from a doctor who would make a recommendation. The difference now is that adult-use cannabis is a free-market approach to allow these products to be created by licensed distributors, just like liquor licenses are in Pennsylvania. Cannabis licenses will be given so that these products will be just as normal as picking up a six-pack of beer. You'll also be able to buy in the open market cannabis products that are prescribed by the state of Pennsylvania and released under a new adult-use cannabis law. So we have a medical marijuana law that was passed in 2016. What we need is an adult-use cannabis law to create an open market approach and business opportunities and jobs across Pennsylvania.
3: Is it the fact that the federal government... Still doesn't recognize cannabis, or is it something within each state? Or, you know, I know you mentioned earlier about the DUI considerations. So it's just not making any sense why it's not moving along because we already have DUI considerations.
2: First of all, if you look at the way that the medical program changed in Act 15, it took uh, women sleeping in the rotunda in Harrisburg for months on end before Governor Corbett would even consider, and he did not consider it. It took Tom Wolf getting an office to actually change the law. So during that process, just getting the cannabis law changed, there are so many issues when you take something out of prohibition that have to be rewritten that they just don't do it. So what they did in order to expedite it, we changed the law, but we didn't change the parameters around it. So here you have You know, cannabis is legal in Pennsylvania. And then here's another complication. You ready for this one, Paula? In Philadelphia and in five other counties, we have what's called decriminalization. So in Philadelphia, it's it's under an ounce is decriminalized. So less than one ounce of cannabis is decriminalized. If you step over the county line, which is what we call pencil tucky, that same ounce could cost you some severe penalties. To the point of some folks have done, have, have dealt with jail time. We've had folks that have served uh, many years and then come out on parole and have a felony on the record for just basically uh, no more than less than an ounce. Uh, and that's in the past, but moving forward, even now in Pennsylvania, we still have the same issues because the laws haven't been amended. So when you get to the uh, the DUI issue, here's the problem. THC, which is in your bloodstream for thirty days after you smoke cannabis, it's traceable by by a blood test. So right. what happens if you were to smoke cannabis today, which is God forbid that you were an accident and it was a very bad accident, where the point that maybe there was a fatality and they had to pull blood, you'd actually have THC in your system. They would consider you DUI at that point, regardless. Of anything else, you're now at DUI. Now you have to go through everything under the sun. And possibly you may not be able to get out of a severe penalty. She comes along uh, with the DUI and whatever you've done in the accident. So you have to get yourself an attorney. You have to pay for all the fees. You have to pay for everything. And meantime, you've also paid to have your medical card. So you pay a tax to have your medical card. And the only way to be free of THC is to not have smoke for 30 days. So how is it possible to have a medical card and not smoke for 30 days or not use the plant for 30 days? It's just not. Still, in our uh, legislative system regarding the driving code, you're considered DUI. So we're trying to get that changed, but as we speak, you're still DUI today. Over 500,000 plus medical patients are still at risk for DUI.
3: Which is very interesting when you consider that other narcotics that they may be taking and Jennifer, maybe you you can jump in on this one would be something to be concerned about if you're going to be driving or maybe even using a can opener in your kitchen. (laughs) That's correct. Well, I do want to say
4: with the the patient that I personally have been dealing with. Originally, he was on several opiates. And thanks to medical cannabis program, after several months, he was able to come off of all of them. So, you know, originally he was on allotted, Percocet, multiple medications that were hurting his liver. Now, on top of it, like you said, he probably would have been able to drive legally on those prescription medicines, even though he shouldn't have been driving. And with the man I'm talking about now, he does not have his driver's license anymore just because of seizures. I would think that
3: in some ways worse with the opiates they're available first of all one of the things robert that you had mentioned was this and i want to make sure that our audience is clear on this it's not just cannabis in the form of smoking it's cannabis in other forms as well
2: absolutely any any form that you take in whether it's through eating or uh smoking you will have uh THC in the system.
3: That's Robert Rudnitsky, the executive director of Philly Normal and co founder for Perfectly Normal, one of our guests on special edition today, talking about the status of Pennsylvania laws and what residents can do to bring their opinions on legalizing adult use cannabis here in the Commonwealth to lawmakers. He's also joined today by Todd Eiches, a member of Perfectly Normal, and Jennifer Seek, advocate and volunteer for Perfectly Normal. Now, don't go away. Our discussion will continue and we'll also have some information on what's coming up in the future. That's next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. We have been discussing the legalization of adult-use cannabis here in the Commonwealth. The medical marijuana program in the state signed into law in 2016 continues today and is expanding for those who need it. But what about the fact that neighboring states have already legalized adult-use cannabis around the Commonwealth, yet we haven't? Robert Rudnitsky, the executive director of Philly Normal and co-founder for Perfectly Normal, Todd Eches, member of Perfectly Normal, and Jennifer Seek, an advocate and volunteer for Perfectly Normal, are here, and they're telling us about the status of Pennsylvania laws and what residents can do in order to bring their opinions to lawmakers. The group Perfectly Normal was founded by ordinary citizens so that they could give other ordinary citizens the facts about adult use cannabis legalization efforts. You can get more information from their website, perfectlynormal.info. That's perfectlynormal.info, where you'll also find information about their Zoom meetings every Thursday evening. Now, let's get back to our discussion on Special Edition, where Todd Eiches will join us to give us more information about laws, jobs, and making the cannabis industry safe in the Commonwealth. When you talk about this topic, there are so many things that a lot of people are maybe misunderstanding and now, as you mentioned in the ver- very beginning, that we have New York, New Jersey coming on board. Because they are so close to us, what are we missing that they've seemed to be able to work out?
1: So I'll jump in. Obviously, the, polit- the political mix, their legislatures are different. Uh, they, they are controlled by Democrats and the Republicans control the legislature uh, in Harrisburg. So there's a party mix. But it's also... A philosophical thing, see, because I'm here from Northeastern Pennsylvania. I grew up in Wilkes-Barre, Copeland High School graduate. What perfectly normal is all about is personal responsibility. We don't condone anybody smoking and driving or using these medicines and not being responsible, going to work high, wrong, driving high, wrong. But in the end, we're in a situation where the country is making a move. You have 45 states now that some kind that have some kind of either hemp or cannabis passed legally. So you're in a situation now where the society is changing, and in order to keep up with the societal change, we need to change with it. We need to make sure that we compete for the jobs that New York and New Jersey and their governors and state houses and senates have passed by passing it here so that we can create these opportunities and create. New rules and regulations, as Robert said, change DUI standards, decriminalize all the people that we've known all across Pennsylvania that have been hurt by getting small possession charges. We want these records to be cleared so that it doesn't block their way for employment. So there's a kind of a cultural change that needs to take place, but it's also a moment in time where either we... Make the move into the adult use legalization market for cannabis, or we lose the opportunity and the jobs will go to New York City and Atlantic City instead of Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Scranton, and Wilkes-Barre. We need to time this so that we stay current with the changes that are happening across the country and happening here on the East Coast.
2: Just to clarify, when Todd says jobs, he's also saying jobs that are created through small business opportunities. It's very important because with COVID, we've had so many small businesses shut down. The most important thing we need to give back to our state are giving small businesses, locally owned businesses across the state, opportunities to get back into business and create jobs.
3: Todd, I, too, grew up here in northeastern Pennsylvania. I was about, oh, I don't know, an hour away from Binghamton. And I can remember being 18 and being able to drive to Binghamton and enjoy myself with my friends
1: yeah, where the drinking age was 18 exactly. and over was 21.
3: Yes, when you still had to have you an had, LCB the two, card. The
1: laws were, right, they weren't, they, the two laws weren't synchronized.
3: So same thing here. Is it the misconception that people aren't understanding?
1: You and I are about the same age, I would guess, if you can still remember Binghamton. So the, the, the whole just say no years that we went through back in the Reagan administration, that framed the debate on prohibition for a really long time. But with 45 states now passing some form of cannabis in across the country and having New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Connecticut, Virginia, all the states surrounding us passing adult-use cannabis, the jobs are going to move to those states for small business opportunities like Robert talked about in small towns. This isn't just a Philly or Pittsburgh thing. These opportunities will be in Center County, Luzerne, Lackawanna, in in Warren and Washington counties, all across Pennsylvania from corner to corner. If we do this execution of the law right in Harrisburg, which is yet to be determined whether we get it right, but if we do it right, we can create a lot of opportunities and take take the prohibition out of this. We're not in a prohibition era on cannabis anymore. We're in a situation where all these states are legalizing, and either Pennsylvania moves along with the cultural trend, or we get left behind.
3: What of the difference then is between because you're you're talking about adult use? That's what you're going for. Correct. Okay. Adult. Adult.
1: Over. Over eighteen.
3: If it just stayed medical, would you be having this discussion? As Jen was was saying in the very beginning. Medical marijuana, people were, were using it, they were going to the doctor, they, and then it wasn't legalized, but it was accepted a little more. When you add other people getting involved in this on a different level, does that seem to be causing some of the problems? Put
2: it this way, whenever there's a lot of chefs in the stew, you know as well as I do, things can get fairly complicated. So yes, as we add more to the mix, things are getting much more complicated. But remember, when we did medical, that was that was not in compliance with the existing governor at the time. He was not moving on the issue, period. It only came from the change of, of a governor. And then even then, it took three months to sign the bill. And then it took another 18 months before we actually had our first store open up. So you're talking about 19 months of implementation from the signing. And that was four years of women sleeping in Harrisburg prior. This isn't the same thing. This is not like this because people actually have the medicine. bigger issue here is that we're fighting for the correct atmosphere for this to come out of prohibition. You have two commodities that are coming out of prohibition at the same time. You have cannabis, and, I mean, which is marijuana, and you have hemp. Both have never happened in any of our lifetimes. So you have these two unique commodities coming out and all the infrastructure around it is just not created. So what's happening now is we, we saw what happened in 2016, and now we know where the adjustments need to be made. And clearly, one of the, the the big major adjustments that we see is we have to correct the driving standards. We need to give opportunities to small business. We need to get medicine out to... Uh, the folks that need it, and what I would per se is right now because insurances don't cover What we need to do is come up with a voucher system that would at least allow folks to get medicine, similar to when you have uh, folks who need help with their gas bill. We don't give people free gas; we give people vouchers. Those who need it, we could simply create vouchers and let these folks get their medicine, and then give these vouchers back to the dispensaries where they can get some type of a tax credit. So. What we're yep. talking about is what, we, what we've seen over the last four to five years is it needs to be fine-tuned, and it needs to be fine-tuned now from the constituent standpoint, not, not just from the top-down.
1: Hey, Paula, you can imagine, though, when prohibition ended for alcohol, right? that each state had to pass their own standards for how they were going to distribute and license alcohol products, controlled substances. Same thing goes here. We have to set up an infrastructure with licenses for small business and medium-sized business to grow it. We need to have retail storefronts that are licensed, just like we have for bars or uh, liquor stores. We have to have new standards for impairment on DUI standards and and different standards for how we talk about criminality, because if we are going to take millions and millions and millions of dollars in taxes from people who buy cannabis products, you can't keep it criminalized. When we created gambling and we licensed it, it went from illegal one day to legal the next. Same thing here. We're going to create a new scenario, new laws and roll out a new product to create new business opportunities and new growth in a place where for some people, it's unexpected. Coming through the Just Say No Years, mm-hmm. this is a long way from there, but the culture's changed, and everybody around us, all the states around us, are going to be competing in this market. Either we compete or we fall behind. And I want Pennsylvania to grow our way out of this. We're going to grow our way out of this with new products and, and a new vibrant economy that allows people <coughs> to participate. That's how we do it.
3: If all of this does come to fruition, what happens because of the fact that the federal government hasn't recognized anything as far as all the states are concerned? Does that still keep a lid on what you can do, what you can't do?
1: Last week, the the House passed the Cannabis Banking Act, which allows for cannabis businesses across the country to use FDIC-licensed federal banks. That's yet to be passed in the Senate and get on to uh, the president's desk. But you're going to see more of this trending. You're going to see cannabis removed, possibly in this next year, from the Controlled Substances Act. Right now, THC and marijuana are a controlled substance like like opioids or fentanyl. That needs to come off and become either a Schedule II or a Schedule Three substance so that there is no criminality involved in this, And also it synchronizes with the way the medical system can prescribe or recommend these products. There's more work to be done at the federal level, true enough, but with Virginia, Connecticut, Delaware, New York, and New Jersey, all moving to adult use cannabis and saying to the, there are federal counterparts, federalist experience, the state's experience of moving in the, in the democracy in this country Sometimes states move the federal government toward action, and other times the federal government takes action, like on civil rights, to change the society. In this case, states are taking the lead. They're seeing this economy in COVID become a negative growth economy with less jobs and small businesses falling apart, and they're seeing an opportunity for a whole new industry to be created before our eyes. But we have to get it right, and that's why we created Perfectly Normal who can activate average citizens who see it our way, that the society's got to change, and we want them to call their legislators so they can reach out and get to know their members of the House and educate them about what uh, this really means in a way that's perfectly normal, not Harrisburg normal.
3: Jennifer, the people that you have come in contact with, what are you hearing?
4: A lot of what I'm hearing, like if you're looking for anything negative that I'm hearing, is um, when I'm calling the legislators, and speaking with people at their office and even just speaking with regular people, I'm hearing that people are very concerned about children and the safety of children. And what I would have to say to that is, number one, perfectly normal, the safety of our children is a top priority. I'm a mother. I have children aged preschool all the way up to college. So that is my top priority. And the way that we are suggesting that it's handled is very similar to the way that the medical cannabis program was handled, that everything is labeled put in securely locked child safe bottles and nothing should be marketed towards children. If you're concerned, if everything has been going over well with the medical cannabis program and everything and the adult use cannabis would go along the same lines as the medical
3: cannabis program. Robert, what do you see then coming down that people like Jennifer uh, and others who are hearing this and saying, well, yeah, gee, there are people out there who are trying to do something about this. So what can I do? I want to get back into yep. the phone call that comes up uh, with you folks every Thursday evening. But besides that, what are other things that people can do?
2: Well, I would tell you right now, as Todd had mentioned, first and foremost is contact your leg- legislators, you know, whoever, you know, your senators, your state reps, and just let them know uh, your experiences. You know, just be straight with them because the best approach is transparency. And honestly, Medical uh, users of cannabis can clearly convey their thoughts and their feelings to the legislators. The second point I would bring about is that I would say for the last five years, I'm a bit crazy. I would get up on the weekends with my volunteers and we would set up free at our local flea market from six o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night. We would set up free registrations for the public. And you would be surprised that I would say 90% of my clientele are over the age of 40, don't even realize that we have a medical program. They don't even realize that it's legal. And most all of them are just thankful once we explain to them how it came about. Only problem that we have is most of them just can't afford to get into the system. But surprisingly, most of the folks that were hurt by pro uh, were are certainly in the 40 to 70 bracket. And these folks live all over Pennsylvania. And most of them, just the biggest problem they're concerned with is the, what should I say the harm that would come to them because of the illegal nature of cannabis. But once they find out they can talk about it, you would be surprised. It's like everybody comes out of the closet. The bulk of the folks that I speak to are certainly over 40
1: years old.
3: The idea that you are here and you are introducing many of us to perfectlynormal.info, which is your website, that in itself can start a discussion. Because if people only hear one thing, then they're not going to understand the whole scope. About how many members do you have?
2: hundred. Yeah, Perfectly, Perfectly Normal is comprised of other organizations. So not only do we have our own membership, but it extends to the membership of the other organizations. And one thing I would like to say is that Uh, Back when cannabis came to its uh, medical legality back in 2016, I opened up uh, teaching uh, for the classes. And our classes, we were filled with hundreds of students every weekend, which we're still in contact with. That's not the point of why I'm bringing that to your attention. What we found was that people had saw the billboards on the highways, and they just couldn't believe that there was some number to call and legally talk about this. So the problem that you have in Pennsylvania is, In order to unify people, we have to come to a place where we can unify, and there is no unifiable table. So that's why we formed Perfectly Normal was to allow everybody to come to the table and discuss this in a rational, realistic manner. So, and that's how it came about. And one last note too, my mother who passed from cancer, we had uh, a plethora of medical pharmaceuticals to help us with and we eased her into the next level using uh, cannabis. because She couldn't eat. We would put a cookie under her tongue and when she passed, she passed, you know, very compassionately.
3: I, I'm sorry for your loss. My husband had Parkinson's and he also had the cannabis card and uh, we were able to use it for a little while. But then he just got to a point where it wasn't, nothing was helping. But it is interesting when you, when you hear it from someone else's perspective, because again, like I said, people hear you say that and they immediately look at you and go, oh. How can you do that? It's it's illegal.
2: to your point, and I'm sorry for your loss, but your husband probably never used cannabis before, did he? No. Okay, so that's what we find, is we find folks that have never used it before, some get great results, some get temporary results, but the beauty is it's their option, right? and they don't have to be jailed for it.
3: He said, I'd like to try it. I said, fine, whatever you think is going to help you. And again, that's the other thing that I, I think people don't understand sometimes, too, is that it's not what they think it is.
1: It's- Correct. You know, I work in cannabis. I, I distribute uh, hemp CBD from the largest farms in the country. And what I what you find is that some of these products that you can use have no psychoactive pyramid at all. It en- actually ends up triggering a biological receptor system in our body called the endocannabinoid system. And these receptors exist in the human body. And when cannabis hits these receptors, it has, it has various reactions. It can reduce inflammation. It can reduce seizures. It can reduce nausea. I have physicians that use it to abate nausea from cancer patients, from chemotherapy. I have doctors that uh, use it to reduce pressure inside the eyeball of glaucoma patients. So there's much to be learned about the medical efficacy of what cannabinoids will do. But until we regularize this, make it normal societal behavior and open our best laboratories at Penn State and UPMC and University of Pennsylvania to be able to do the life sciences, we won't know the secrets that have been hidden for seventy five years of prohibition.
2: To piggyback Paul on what Todd's saying too, there's there's other there's two other equations that are really key when you bring up what Todd's saying is first of all We also need to develop standards for the way that even the hemp is tested. So because there's a lot of what we call gray market counterfeit hemp out there. So the problem is people aren't even getting the real product. So how can you even get real results when they don't have a real product? And also the second thing is a lot of folks, the physicians are under tremendous pressure right now to get folks off of the opioids because of what happened with the opioid crisis they're penalizing the folks that really need them, like your senior citizens. Folks that are, you know, into their later golden years, unfortunately, cannabis isn't a miracle, neither is hemp, and yeah, there is a need for the higher-end pharmaceuticals. And what we're finding is that the senior citizens are being ripped off of them and telling them to be put on cannabis. So that's not our, our philosophy. It's good for everybody. It's the right tool for the right job. But once you've got the right tool, You also got to create standards. And that's why we want our hemp industry to come up to the plate with the standards so that we know what's in the bottle, not like, let's go have our family go to a gas station and pick up their hemp products. This isn't chicken ranch farming.
3: Maybe people just don't understand because they're going by what they know from years ago. And they haven't been following it all along. Before Correct. I before I have to let you all go, we have any last words?
2: All I can say is to for folks, it's not difficult. Just pick up the phone and find your legislator and let them know how you feel. Um, this is your one opportunity to get it right. It's easier to get the laws the way we would like them in the first shot. It is so difficult, if not near impossible, to amend them once they're in place. So please, if you can do anything, get on the perfectlynormal.info website or get on the phone with your legislators and let them know how you feel.
3: All right. And Todd, I'm going to give you the last word here because I'd like you to reiterate what you uh, told us in the very beginning about that Thursday evening phone call. And again, how people can start to get involved, especially if they didn't even know that this existed.
1: I think the public generally aggravated that they feel like, their elected officials don't listen. And in this case, it's an opportunity for average citizens to come on with a group of people who work and live and care about cannabis to be able to explain to you the facts about what you can talk to your legislators about. If you're ambivalent about calling your state senator or state rep, don't be. Come on the Thursday call. We have excellent resources. We're a volunteer organization that reaches out and is looking for a rational approach to legalization that protects consumers and children, but allows us to take advantage of a market that's opening all around us. I'm grateful for the time from your station to will talk about this. And uh, if you uh, have another opportunity to do this in the future, we're happy to do it.
3: And what's the number so that they can get in touch or how can they find out more information?
1: The best paper The link is
2: just, just go to the website and the information is there. And that's www.perfectlynormal.info.
3: Thanks once again to our guests, Robert Rudnitsky, Executive Director of Philly Normal and co founder for Perfectly Normal, Todd Eaches, member of Perfectly Normal, and Jennifer Seek, advocate and volunteer for Perfectly Normal, for joining us today on special edition and for bringing us the latest information on the Pennsylvania laws and what residents can do to bring their opinions to lawmakers on legalizing adult use cannabis here in the Commonwealth. And as you heard from our guests, you're a big part of what can happen in the future. And even as this program is going on the air today, I'm finding out that there are things that are already changing and we'll keep you informed right here on Special Edition. Don't forget, you can find them at perfectlynormal.info. Now, when we come back, Dawn Webster will join us and she has some good sun protection ideas next. Welcome back to special edition. Respect the sun and take care of your skin. Don Webster, physician's assistant with MedExpress, has what you can do to help prevent skin cancer.
0: I just want to start by saying skin cancer is unfortunately the most common form of cancer in the United States. So it is so, so prevalent. We really do have to be careful. The most important thing you can do that anyone can do is to check their skin, to, to take a look at it every month if you can. And that's really the only way to know if you have skin cancer is by
3: looking for any changes. Now, when you say looking for any changes, what exactly do you mean? You might get a freckle here or there. So what exactly are we looking for?
0: So when I say changes, I really do mean changes because unfortunately skin cancers can look like anything. There's three common skin cancers, basal cells, squamous cells, and melanomas. And they do all typically look a little bit different. The basal cell cancers, they're going to look like a raised, smooth, either skin colored or maybe slightly red lump. And then there are squamous cells, and those, they can be Daily, They can look like a, a wart or even a, a scratch or cut that kind of bleeds and doesn't heal. And then there are melanomas, which are the scary ones that you hear most about in the news. And those are typically brown or black, and they can look like a mole. And if people have a lot of them and aren't paying attention, that's how they can get missed.
3: When we're talking about uh, trying to diagnose ourselves, uh, sometimes that's not a good idea. So when do we actually go to our doctor and do we start with our primary doc and then go from there? Well, you can. So you can absolutely start with your primary care doctor. It's a great idea,
0: though, to get a dermatologist and to go once a year or if you're high risk, twice a year and have them do a full body Scan. They have a magnifying light. They have a special, it's a different color light that looks at every single little bump on your body, and they can tell that looks okay, that looks suspicious. We need to keep our eye on that. And the only way they know is by getting a baseline. So if they see something suspicious, if it's just a little bit suspicious, they may have you come back in a couple months. If they see something very suspicious, they're going to take a small piece of it for a biopsy and send it to the lab and see what type of cells are in there. But really. If there's something you're worried about right away and you you don't have a dermatologist, your PCP is a good place to start. But if you do have a dermatologist or you have some time, try to to get in with them. Start getting in every year to get a, a general skin screening.
3: And you mentioned squamous cell. That's one of mine. And I thought it was a bug bite and it went on for several weeks But then all of a sudden, had another appointment with my primary care doc, just routine, and said, what's this? And she said, that looks like a squamous cell to me. That's just from my perspective. It can happen to you.
0: Yes, it can. And that's that's what is a little bit scary about them. They can look like a little patch of eczema or dry skin. They can look like a bug bite. They can look like a scratch that's just not healing. So really, just like you said, the most important thing is, if it's lasting longer than a normal scratch or bug bite or dry skin would last, then you do want to bring it to someone's attention.
3: I did tell my dermatologists, who are also wonderful, that I'm sorry, but I just can't stay out of the sun. I know they've given me some tips, so maybe I can hear them again from you that would help keep me and others like me safe so that we don't have these major problems come up with skin issues?
0: So obviously, the most important thing would be, if you can, to stay out of the sun, especially midday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. Those are the worst times for UV exposure. And that's the UV exposure is what can cause the skin cancer. So the most important thing would do, to do would be to stay out. But if you can't, then cover up. Stay in the shade. Wear clothing that covers your arms, your legs. Wear a hat with a wide brim to cover your face, and then also sunscreen. So sunscreen is important. So always put SPF 15 of higher on, and then sunglasses to protect your eyes. And then obviously, we definitely want you to avoid indoor tanning.
3: One of the other things that I learned, which I was not aware of, was that you can even develop a skin cancer under your fingernails or toenails? Yes you can develop them anywhere. I wasn't aware of that at all. So that's another good thing to take off the nail polish every once in a while. And I make it sound like it's more women, but that's not the case either.
0: No, absolutely not. Um, Men and women both can get skin cancer. And the people that are at a higher risk are the fair complected people. So people with lighter skin, blonde hair, red hair, blue eyes. Those are the people that, Really, unfortunately, because they get sunburned easier, can get skin cancer easier. But it it is any gender.
3: Especially when we're talking about where skin cancers can develop, a lot of times, especially in the summer, we're outside and we don't wear a hat. So that brings the scalp and even the tops of the ears into play, where people don't even think sometimes, how am I going to put suntan lotion in my hair?
0: Right. Yes, that's why hats are so important. And you can spray your hair with the spray sunscreen, spray your scalp. But really, I think a hat probably would be the best way to make sure you get adequate coverage.
3: When a person is then diagnosed with skin cancer, is it because you mentioned melanoma and melanoma being the worst, that? Is it possible that you may start out with that stage if you let something go untreated that long? So melanoma is
0: the type of skin cancer that everyone worries about because it's it is unfortunately the one with the, the most the most fatality, highest fatality rate. Now, melanoma typically is easily identified if you're paying attention. So you really do need to pay attention to your skin, to your moles. So melanoma is the one that is typically brown or black in pigment. So this is the one that's going to look like a mole. If you don't have a mole and you notice a new one, then yes, get it checked. Or if you thought you had a mole there, but it seems to be changing, then you also want to get that one checked. The the squamous cell cancers and the basal cell cancers, those are very, very slow-growing. So those are the ones that even if you do catch them later – they're very highly curable. The, the melanomas, those are the ones we worry about because those are the ones that do spread
3: faster. And when you're talking about moles, it doesn't necessarily mean if you have a raised mole that that mole could be cancerous, correct?
0: Correct. So they, they actually have a, um, an acronym, acronym to kind of know what to look for when it comes to melanoma. So they call them the ABCDEs. So the A stands for asymmetry. So when you look at the mark on your skin, whether it's a mole or just a dark spot, is it is it perfectly round or is it uneven? The B stands for border. So you want to look at the border. Is the border smooth? Is it irregular? Is it jagged? If it's jagged or irregular, those are warning signs. C is the color. So is the color uneven? Um, most moles... Not all, but most are uniform, either dark brown, light brown, um, sometimes even black. But is it changing? Is it uneven? The D is for diameter. So how big is that molar spot? Is it the size of an eraser? Is it larger than that? Is it the size of a P? Once it gets to be the size of an eraser or larger, that, that's a warning sign. So you need to get that checked out. And then the last letter E is, is it evolving? Is it changing? You know, does it look different? Is it brand new? Has it never been there before? And unfortunately, I mean, we're not often looking at our back, the back of our legs, the back of our arms, which is really why it is so important to see a dermatologist
3: and have them do those yearly skin checks. Absolutely. With my experience, I've also taken pictures on my phone of things that I think might be, eh, there might be something there, but I'm really not sure, or it looks a little different. And again, if you are getting in with a, uh, a good dermatologist, you send them that picture and they can take a look at it and be able to say, well, maybe you should come in, maybe you shouldn't. And I know that's that saves a lot of anxiety. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Don. What do we say to to sum all this up? Prevention, but please don't tell me I got to stay out of the sun. (laughs) No, you don't have to. Just, Just wear sunscreen,
0: wear a hat, try to stay in the shade if you can. But if you can't, then just wear a hat and wear sunscreen and just do your best. That's all we can do.
3: I'll have Dawn back again soon with a discussion on summer safety on Special Edition. Can't sleep? Trouble concentrating? Dry, itchy skin? urinating more often? These are some of the symptoms
2: of kidney disease. Many people don't understand what kidney disease is, who's at risk, and what they can do to avoid serious kidney health issues. Find out if you are at risk. Go to OptumKidneyCheck.com to take a simple survey that can help you see if you're one of the one in three people who's at risk of developing kidney disease. That's O-P-T-U-M KidneyCheck.com. A public service message from the National Kidney Foundation, Optum Labs, in this station. Thanks for listening to Special Edition a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories.